This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Welcome to the True Beauty Brooklyn podcast. I'm Elizabeth Taylor. And I'm Alex Shapiro. We're estheticians in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and we work with really incredible, diverse, ambitious, and driven people who are killing it in life. They deserve to be celebrated, and on this podcast, we're going to be sharing their stories with you. Yeah, and in between our interview episodes, we'll have Beauty School, where it's just the two of us, maybe some guest stars, and we'll be chatting about beauty, life, weird shit about being in your 30s, and learning more about one another, because that's what makes us more similar than different. Also, we're a lot of fun, and we have a super multicultural community, and we kind of think that you might too. So, why not talk about all things beauty under one black and Jewish roof? Plus, we'll be answering listener questions, so be sure to write us at truebeautybrokenpodcast at gmail.com. All right, guys, let's jump into the show. Oh, hey guys. Hey. It's Elizabeth. And Alex. Welcome to the True Beauty Brooklyn podcast. Welcome. Today, we are coming at you guys with a beauty school episode. And do you guys know beauty school is when we bring in an excellent guest who knows something that we don't know, but we know that y'all want to know. So we bring them in to talk to us about some things. Mm-hmm. And we have an incredible guest therapist this week. Alex yes. is going to tell us about him. A great therapist named Andrea Glick. Andrea's therapy approach is rooted in a trauma framework. It blends together body-based sensory motor psychotherapy, EMDR and parts work with more traditional relational and feminist psychodynamics. Wow. Lots. Lots. But I think with Andrea, I don't know. I As I get older and I learn more about therapy and how it's not just like you go in there, you talk to your therapist, they help you with your life, the end. It's mm-hmm. so much fucking deeper. And yeah. especially someone, a therapist like this who specializes in um, trauma-focused therapy. For queer people, for BIPOC yeah. people, which I think is the – which isn't the most important part about Andrew, but that's why I was so excited to speak with her in that, you know, I'm not a queer person, but I am a person of color. I am a woman. I know what it is to feel marginalized in many different ways and just feel like you're experiencing things that not necessarily everybody else experiences and, or not knowing. That was the other thing. It was like, surprise, like having my therapist be like, no, no, girl, it's not normal for you to have people always questioning why you are the way you are or talk the way that you talk or dress the way that you do. Like those are microaggressions and all of those tiny microaggressions could lead to trauma. And 
Exhibit you know? one, Liz Lemon, right over here. <laughs> and so I just love speaking with Andrea because she knew that and she works with people that are like us to figure that out and to work through that and, and in an approach that I think is so... You know, she actually reminded me a lot of us, Alex, and that people come to us because, you know, the amount of women who like who have said to me, I've never been waxed by a black woman before, the amount of black women, I should say, or the amount of people who say, I've never been to a place where somebody speaks my language in more ways than one. And I think that that's what Andrea really brings to this field is she is one of us. She's queer. She is a person of color. She knows she just knows things. She knows us. She knows what we're going through and she knows how to like speak with, to us in a way that makes sense, that makes you feel heard, that makes you feel seen, that makes you feel like, oh, this isn't just me. <laughs> it's the world around us. And how do we figure this out together? Mm-hmm. And it's just so important. I've yeah. never spoken to somebody like her in the therapy field, honestly. Me neither. Yeah. I learned a lot and... I think that all of you will, too. I think so, too. I think that all of you are going to feel seen and heard and feel like, okay, let me start getting my wellness together. Because I think at the end of the day, that was kind of one of the reasons that we had her on. But one of the greatest takeaways was just how all of this has to do with self-worth, self-love, wellness. I hate that fucking word. I know. Beauty, beauty, beauty. Yeah, let's scratch wellness out of the... Yeah. Just take that right out. (laughs) Beauty. (laughs) right out. (laughs) How it has to do with beauty. And that's what we talk about in the show is beauty and all of the different forms and all the different ways and how to help you be beautiful. So that's what we're bringing to you guys today. Yeah. So, without further ado, (laughs) here's our conversation with the fabulous Andrea Glick. So I'm Andrea Gutierrez Glick, LCSW. I'm a trauma therapist. I work almost exclusively with LGBTQ folks who are survivors of trauma. Um, And I'm a queer person myself. I'm a survivor myself. Um, I work mostly with clients one-on-one and then on a more larger scope, I work with organizations, um, nonprofits, things like that to help people understand trauma more, be more trauma-informed, understand their body's responses to stress and trauma. And my approach really focuses on more body-based ways of healing. So I practice with clients EMDR. I use a lot of nervous system theories like the polyvagal theory in my practice as well. Mm. Wow. That's really, okay. Well, a few things that you said that I'd like to touch on. Um, But do you want to tell us a little bit about how you decided, I guess, number one, to become a therapist and number two, to have your specific focus? Yeah, absolutely. So when I was a teenager, I was going through normal teenage anxiety and depression Um, wasn't out as being a lesbian, living in a small Midwestern city um, in a time before, like a lot of what we kind of have now as a broader understanding of gender and sexuality. Um, And I was working at a suicide hotline that was run by teenagers for teenagers. And I learned a lot of crisis skills, a lot of emotional regulation skills, 
And it really helped me in my personal life. And then also it was very meaningful to help others. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really found a way of connecting with like a larger purpose when I felt really lost. And that's really stayed with me. I've worked in a lot of industries. I worked in the food industry. I worked in the fashion industry. I worked in the sex toy industry. Um, And kind of throughout those careers, that was always something that I really, that was always my favorite part. So like working in the restaurant industry, my favorite part was relationships and getting to know my either like coworkers or customers and really connecting with people, helping people feel safe and heard. Same thing at the sex toy store, same thing um, in fashion. And so um, I think I avoided being a therapist for a long time. My mom and my grandmother are both therapists. <laughs> like, yeah, which now I think is amazing. But as like a young person, I was like, I don't want to do what my mom does. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of accepted <laughs> that that was what it was going to be. Um, but that was actually a really exciting thing. And then coming into trauma, so, you know, I went to grad school, like, five or seven years ago, I'm not great at math, and um, we were, like, starting to have larger conversations about trauma, thanks to the work of some really incredible, powerful trauma therapists in the field, but it wasn't the standard type of care for um, therapists to practice or learn or provide for clients. It was really, like, specialized, it was just for particular types of people with particular types of experiences. So for a long time, I was like, oh, yeah, I don't want to work with, like, veterans, so I guess I don't want to do trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, And then my first uh, really highly clinical internship where I'm providing one-on-one therapy to clients was at a queer mental health clinic in Manhattan. And all of my clients had a lot of trauma, and I was starting to understand that that wasn't just an experience that came from being um, at war or being in a war zone. Mm -hmm. It could be lots of things. So I didn't really feel like I had the tools at the time to give them everything that they needed. So I, when I graduated, I worked at a trauma clinic where I got trained in working with trauma. And then since then, that's really been the basis of my, my training and the work that I do. Uh, and I think working with LGBTQ folks, working with women, um, working with folks of color, it's going to be trauma work a lot of the time, not necessarily every time, but that is more standard for people who have experienced more oppression, both macro and micro. So that's that's how I got a little more specialized in um, specifically treating trauma. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And also what you're saying about veterans, as a kid or as a teenager, that was the only kind of thing I associated with PTSD. Like that was the first time mm-hmm. I ever even heard that term that was still really until recently until we spoke with dr dan it's it was still really what i associated with any type of trauma or at least something that that was so great like right. trauma had war. to be you literally went to war yeah or like something very grand or like this yeah. terrible thing had to have happened to you like sexual trauma or, or what have you but mm-hmm. um i love that i think that i'm hearing so much more about the the micro traumas that affect us as um, disenfranchised people and how all of those tiny little micro traumas can add up to so much more. And I and that it's okay to to label something as trauma without it being Mm -hmm. something like going to war Mm -hmm. or a really terrible um, kind of abuse, let's say. But I think that's also why probably a lot of people don't get help that they need because they feel like their problems are not that big when actually, no, it's super big for you. Well, and two is, you don't know, we don't know, 
I didn't know how to name it, you know? A lot of yeah. things mm -hmm. I think you didn't know how to name. It's like, look at the archetype of the angry black woman, right? And it's like, she's got a lot of reasons to be angry and it's prob and it's like trauma, number one, just like trauma being mm -hmm. a black woman. And if, and if rather than just like creating a name, a label for it and just leaving it at that, we could begin to heal, then like what would the world look like, right? Yeah, totally. And how productive it is to create stereotypes or labels so that people don't get to experience their full humanity. Yeah. Um, because under that anger, first off, is it always anger? No. Um, a lot of times it's desire to be respected, desire to experience more emotion. Um, it's pain, it's grief. Like mm -hmm. you said, it's trauma. So um, yeah, it's like if that stereotype is in place, then people don't get to experience themselves as being fully human or deserving of care or love or healing. And so I think a lot of people, um, a lot of different kinds of people feel that they have to minimize what they've been through or conform to a certain idea mm -hmm. as to not be viewed in some way when, um, yeah, that person absolutely deserves to process what has happened to them and feel differently. Do mm -hmm. sometimes like, do you have, um, patients who, don't even well probably most of the time they don't even realize they've experienced trauma they just figure like you're maybe a good therapist for other reasons that they read about and then you're like mm -hmm. so all these things you've experienced have made you yeah you're traumatized yeah I would say the most common experience in my office is someone comes to me for what we consider to be like a big t trauma I don't use that term because I think it's very minimizing but in in um the trauma world kind of, or, or more maybe in like pop psychology, that term is referring to being a veteran, having been sexually assaulted, um, you know, grieving the loss of a parent really young. Like those are sort of like the, what's understood to be like big T. So someone will come knowing they've experienced maybe a single incident trauma. So a trauma that happened one time. And then in our work together, what typically happens is uncovering that that is not the only thing that has happened that is traumatic. And that the other traumas that are not viewed as such maybe deserve just as much care and processing as this socially acceptable, you're allowed to be really upset and really traumatized about this thing. So I think that happens a lot. And then, yes, sometimes I definitely have people who will choose me for other reasons. You know, I'm a queer therapist, um, sex positive, body positive, um, Jewish, all these other things. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I just like that you understand my life. But then actually in our work together, things absolutely emerge. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of talking about, you know, in our podcast, we talk a lot about how beauty is really about more than just like the exterior. Do you know, obviously, like mm -hmm. we'll, we'll give people the tools so that they can, you know, achieve whatever exterior beauty goal they desire but we're kind of mm. really here to slip in like the deeper things like and the things that really will amount to uh greater self-esteem through self-worth and through self-image and um it mm. sounds like that's a lot of the work that you do in your practice and especially kind of working with different marginalized people and so i would kind of love to talk a little bit about how uh, the work of therapy can work greater to, I guess, yeah, just like how important it is to, for oneself, I suppose, to heal themselves from like the different types of traumas that we've all kind of been through. I think that what's really cool about where we're at is people are starting to look at therapy similar to like some of the services that you all provide, which I realize are like more than just, like you said, a beauty service, but for thinking about like self-care or um sort of like, I don't want to use the word maintenance because that feels very, like, capitalistic. 
Um, but just sort of like standard ways that you show up for yourself. Like you go to the doctor, you, some people get their nails done, some people get their hair done, and then you go to therapy, whether it's once a week or twice a month or whatever. Um, I think the only way that I see that as being more of an issue is when people are using therapy as like, or mindfulness or self healing or help as this, like, I need to be a better worker or more productive in capitalism. If I'm stressed, if I'm anxious, that's my fault. I need to go to therapy and deal with my issues versus like the way that society is set up is very stressful. Mm -hmm. Um, or like being overworked is very stressful. (laughs) So like Mm -hmm. sometimes I think there, I think it's great that therapy is becoming as common as like getting your eyebrows threaded. And I also hope that people realize that it's not up to them to necessarily like create more peace or stability in their lives. Sometimes the external things need to be changed as well. And it's not their fault that they're feeling that way. I think that's the number one thing. It's like, it's not your fault you're feeling this way. Therapy is not like a way to resolve your anxiety so you can work for 12 hours a day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like that's not the point. Right. You don't just like not change your life, but because you have your therapy session once a week, you're like, I'll just talk about in therapy. It's like, no, there are actual changes to be made. Right. And the changes are probably systemic also, and you might not have control over them. So like if you feel stressed and your boss is like, wow, you seem really stressed. Like you should probably do something about that. It's like maybe your job should do something about that. Mm -hmm. Like maybe you need to be more supported or maybe you need more support in your relationship or maybe you're not making enough money and that's really stressful. So I think there's very similar to the way I see people use mindfulness where they're like, I do my meditation on the subway on the way to work. That is creating a culture of like, if you don't feel mindful or present, it's because you're doing something wrong and it's up to you to remedy that. So you can like come to work and be like a better worker (laughs) in capitalism Mm -hmm. where it's like, actually, what if when you got to your job, there was like a transition room where you could like, take a couple seconds, right? Or um, what if you had more support from your team to, like, take time off? Um, or there was, like, universal basic income, things like that. Right. Yeah. So I love these questions that you're asking, but I wonder, how do you work that in with your clients? Like, when they come to you and they say they say to you, I'm really stressed out working these 12-hour jobs, and you're like, girl, that's not your fault. That's, like, your job. What's, the, right. what's kind of, like, the remedy to that solution? Because we're all mm. here, right? And, it's, and this is definitely yeah. something that, like, I've been – dealing with for forever because I'm I love to keep busy I love to build things every hobby mm-hmm. unfortunately that I've ever had I've turned into like a business or like incorporated mm-hmm. it into my business yeah. and yeah. so and like now we're all open these kind of speaking about the effects of capitalism and how it kind of affects all of yeah. us like in deeper ways than we realize and so in that I'm looking at myself and realizing like okay you need to have moments of slowing down you need to have moments of of taking mm-hmm. a breath for yourself, even though your my happy place is like going, do you know? But we yeah. can only like go for so long, right? We're not the Energizer Bunny, so I guess like yeah, yeah like what's the remedy to these things that we're all dealing mm-hmm. with and that you you uh, vocalized so beautifully just then? Yeah, totally. I'm a goer too. I think what I learned personally leaving, I would like to think like hustle culture behind was that I can go and do other things, right? So, like, having hobbies that are just hobbies, it's totally fine to turn your hobby into a career. I think that's amazing to do what you love and get paid for it, but having some things that are sacred. Um, So if you have a lot of energy, if you like to be doing things, you can do things, but it can be other things that 
you do just for you that nobody hears about or sees on Instagram. Um, or they do, and you're, like, being, like, everybody should go outside and take a hike and putting it on Instagram. That's fine, too. But, like, having things that are just just for you, um, whether that's rest or, like, an activity that makes you happy. So, like, for some clients of mine are, like, my industry is just the way it is, and I've worked in industries like that. Like I said, I worked in the restaurant industry. We're talking 12-hour days. Um, so sometimes it's a change in what you do. For some people, they need to make that change. For other people, they don't actually need to be working as much as they are and can take a step back and say, I can go part-time or I can take one less shift if that means getting a day of rest. Um, and for people who have the tendency to be over workers, again, not their fault. Like a lot of the time, that's just what society kind of asks of us if we're doers or goers or need to make money, have kids, have debt, all that stuff. Um, so being able to do some self-examination, how is this a trauma response? Might I be avoiding things that I don't want to feel or conversations I don't want to have with my partner? Or um, is this a way for me to manage my addiction? Is this a way for me to manage my eating disorder? Is this a way for me to manage my feelings of needing to be in control all the time? So a lot of times work can be that. And then, of course, like being someone who's highly productive is viewed as a positive in our world makes sense. And so you're getting rewarded for it. So being a little curious about like, why is this the kind of like, why is your self-worth based off of your productivity? So I think that's something that comes up a lot definitely um, in my work. And so having therapy not be a place of like, this is where you go to like learn skills to do more, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like if I can be more mindful, then I can write for longer and then I can be, I can like churn out, client work faster, you know, for someone who does something like that. It's like, no, what if you were able to be in your body just to experience that? What if it had nothing to do with work? Or um, what if like, yes, sometimes it's self-work that needs to be done. And other times it is like a lot of environmental stuff that needs to change. A lot of people since COVID have made a lot of like environmental changes and that has helped with their mental health. Absolutely. Yeah, that was the other question that I was going to have was like these days, now we're two years into COVID, two years. We're at this place where I hear these like podcasts from like, you know, March 2021 and people, I was listening to this Esther Perel uh, podcast the other day and she was saying like, your our lives aren't going back to normal. It's not gonna yeah. in two weeks this isn't gonna be over. And I was just like, how did she know? My dumbass yeah, was sitting there waiting. I was just like I know. drinking tequila, like we're gonna be back to work tomorrow. But now we're like two <laughs> right. years in. How yeah. how are people I know how I'm coping. It ain't great. How how are people coming <laughs> to you? Like kind of we I feel very lucky because we still leave the house, you know, we have yeah. places to yeah. go. Uh, things have changed, but not quite as drastically for us as it has for the majority of people. So, yeah, what are you seeing people deal with specifically, if you don't mind, in the context of, well, I guess this is all that you work with is like the queer BIPOC communities. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, certainly a lot of people have left bigger cities. I did. Um, I lived in Brooklyn for 10 years. I left in March 2020. Um and I moved back to Missouri, where I'm from. Um, and I've seen a lot of people do that. And that has been a huge help to their quality of life. A lot of people have stayed in larger cities. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I've seen those people really commit to their more micro community. So, like, really, if they didn't already know their neighbors, their block association, local organizations, local restaurants, like, really getting in touch with their community if they're still through working from home. 
and then being there. And then for people who had never had the privilege of working from home, um, like essential workers or people who like have to do their job in person. Um, I think a lot of people have, yeah, like done the best with what they have. Um, and I think a lot of people are just sort of like going through the motions or doing what they have to do to get through this and like get by. Um, and that's also why I think there's more of a need for therapists is like people are having to continue on with their lives. A lot of people are expecting people to be acting like nothing is wrong. And so therapy is a space where they can name that things are wrong. This is like a very challenging and re-traumatizing time for trauma survivors because this larger horrible thing is happening and no one is validating the experience or naming that the bad thing is happening. And that's a dynamic we see a lot in trauma. Something horrible has happened. No one's talking about it. So really, really feel for people, you know, in the service industry, um, essential workers, people like that, um, or even people at office jobs where they're pretending like nothing is wrong. You know, like I have people in my life who, um, are having to like make up work after having COVID, um, are like working with COVID from home. Um, it's, it's like really, really appalling. So I think the having a space, whether it's therapy or it's with friends, really close, you know, friends, loved ones, um, family, stuff like that, where they can say like, this is really not okay. Like things are still not okay. And I think therapy is a great place to be able to do that. Um, because yeah, this is not like, that is the one, one of the things I love about my job through this pandemic is like, I don't have to pretend that things are okay. Um, this is a space where we can really acknowledge that things are really deeply not okay. And that's, that's a really important thing for people to get to express. Yeah, totally. Can I ask what is the polyvagal theory? You mentioned it earlier. Did I pronounce it properly? It's polyvagal, but I love polyvagal. I think it should definitely be polyvagal instead. (laughs) Start a movement. (laughs) That's so good. And you were so sweet about it. Like, so, no, not bad. Not quite bad. No, I love it. I think that's a much better pronunciation. I love it. I'm going to change it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, so the, um, you know, most nervous system uh, theories that we use in therapy are pretty, I would say, I don't like the term dumbed down, maybe like simplistic is a good way to put it. So um, this is like a way for people to understand their bodies. It's not highly scientific. It's based off of science. It's just a way for us to understand how our bodies work. Um, so the polyvagal theory acknowledges that our our nervous systems are organized in a hierarchy. So our first kind of response, and this is based off of attachment research, the first thing we want to do with other people is connect. So the way that I always think, think about this, you have these attachment studies um, where a parent is ignoring their kid, and the first thing that the kid does, it's like, you know, two or three, um, is be really cute, right? Like, hi, hello, you know, will notice me. Um, parent doesn't notice that kid and then the kid there's a temper tantrum which is totally normal and then the parent is still pretending like they don't see the child and then the last thing the kid does is like lay on the floor despondent playing dead so our nervous system does that yeah yeah they're they're kind of sad to watch but then the parent is like hi i see you and then everything's okay um but um when we're not met with connection when we don't have our needs met you know, the first thing we're going to try and do is connect, text our friends, you know, like check in with the people in our lives, spend time with our pet or in nature, or um, we're going to try and get those connection needs met. If we're working too much, if we're isolated, if there isn't anybody that is safe to connect with, then we're going to go into that sympathetic place, that like temper tantrum. Mm -hmm. And as adults, temper tantrum looks like having anxiety or stress. Mm 
right? Mm-hmm. So we're not actually having a temper tantrum. We're feeling stressed out. We're feeling burnt out. So again, this is like, you can apply this to any sort of like modern day experience. Like you are, something triggers some stress or a need for connection. Maybe you just want to connect with someone. You can't because you're at work or um, we're in a pandemic or uh, whatever. Um, And then there's this like surge of anxiety that happens. Sometimes we don't even know that we need connection. We're ignoring our body's own signals Mm -hmm. to get through the day. And so then by the end of the day, we're really anxious and stressed. We don't even know why. Um, It's not just ignoring connection. We can be stressed because our jobs are stressful. Um, But then we don't get to have that. So let's say we're like stressed unrelated to not getting to see a friend. We're stressed because our job is stressful. After work, we don't get to see someone or connect. We don't get to spend time outside. We don't get to spend time connecting with ourselves. We're just like, okay, I only have capacity or the ability to like watch Netflix. Uh And that's not meeting necessarily the need that we have as, uh, you know, like connective relationship driven beings. So then we wake up the next morning and because that like, temper tantrum didn't work our like nervous system is like pay attention do something about this we ignore it we watch like tv we go to bed and then we wake up feeling really really depressed right because we're in that despondent playing dead kid is on the floor place um we haven't had our needs met twice and so the last place that our nervous system goes to is this like total shutdown and so the polyvagal theory helps us understand the nervous system through this hierarchy the first thing we want to do is connect then if that doesn't work, we go into sympathetic activation, which is like adrenaline, cortisol, stress, anxiety. And then if that doesn't work to get our needs met, then that's when we go into the like depression, you know, parasympathetic, like totally checked out, numbed out place. So the reason why depression, dissociation, feeling numb, not feeling our feelings, feeling slow, feeling tired, can be so hard to get out of is it really is our body's final defense system mm-hmm. um and so we've we, we've already been through a lot to get there right um and then the polyvagal theory acknowledges that you know our like core need as humans is connection and so a lot of times um that's kind of like all therapy can be helpful if the therapist is ethical and kind and has like is on their shit about knowing stuff about people um like connection is great like it doesn't have to be a particular kind sometimes it does Right, like certain types of therapy are really useful, but as long as there's like connection happening, mm-hmm. that's really what is like medicine for our nervous system, our attachment system, things like that. Yeah. Wow. What okay. you just described is like every troll on the internet, every like capitalist rioter, sorry, not to bring it into politics, but it just makes so much sense of these people just feeling so isolated, so alone, mm-hmm. having no connection. And then you go and then you like are yelling. Every It's like the internet right now. Everybody's just mm. yelling at each other on the internet yeah. because they're all just like alone and tired of being in the house and like totally. looking for connection and they can't find it. So they're having temper tantrums on the internet. I just saw like the entire yeah. internet of 2021 in exactly yeah. what what you just described it was kind of wild yeah that's a great connection I hadn't thought about it like that but it's it's true it's like you think about why there's so many people who are so angry and lost and confused and it's yeah. like we're more isolated than we've ever been it puts you in a really vulnerable situation when you feel that way to believe pretty much anything yeah I mean as humans like many 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 years ago you lived with one another yeah together like you know you I I talked about this with a client recently actually and I can't remember what book she read but we were just talking about how like back in the caveman days you Mm -hmm. relied on one another you lived literally together yeah yes like you 
And we still do that in a sense, but obviously mm-hmm. not as much. But the pandemic made it so that you're so isolated. Yeah. Some people are so isolated yeah. mm-hmm. that right. it's like, I mean, it's crazy. But when she and I were talking about this, I was like, whoa. Like, we know the basics of, like, okay, the pandemic has made people feel isolated, but what you said goes so much deeper. And then just thinking about mm-hmm. as humans what our needs are, mm-hmm. you know, just instinctually totally. that are yeah. being fulfilled. And also, mm. I was, uh, not to bring another therapist into this, but I've been listening to a lot of Estelle per- uh, Perel lately. And she was saying how because, like, within our relationships these days, we look to our partner, our romantic partner, for mm. so much because we're in a position where yeah. we can. So our romantic partner holds so much. They're our best friend. They're our lover. They're our yeah. confidant. They're, they encompass so, so much. But that means that you don't have... You're like you're two in your little pod. Maybe you have a family, but you don't really have Mm -hmm. other like the rest of the community involved the way that we used to even one generation ago when it would be like your aunt would be there. Also, your sister would live with you, your mom, like just like more of a family community environment. And now we're like just very pod. That's Mm -hmm. why I put so much pressure on my cat to give me attention. (laughs) Me too to Coco. I'm like, Coco, you're my best friend. It's true. It's true. It's like very when I had COVID recently, I was home for 10 days with him and Maybe on the third day, he ignored me all day, was just sleeping. And I kept saying to my husband, like, he might, like, something's wrong. I think that he, like, needs to go to the vet. But how are we going to take him to the vet? We both have COVID. And he was like, no, this is just what he does every day. You know, yeah. like, he sleeps. It's not about, like, it's not it's about, about you. you. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wow, I'm, like, very needy. But it's true, right? Like, Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. We need attention. Yeah. Well, and we can only get so much from our partner. Also, yes. my partner, my husband, is an only child. Oh, so yeah, I can only get so much out of you. him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I that's, that's, that's else. very interesting what you were just saying. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Also, okay, the reason why I pronounced it polyvagal is because I just assumed maybe it had something to do with vaginas <laughs> that you were going to tell us about. Totally, totally, totally. She's like, yeah, no. I think that's great. I love the assumption. I appreciate the assumption. I mean, not my fault they named it something that literally at first glance just looks, you see vag. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. 
that you don't necessarily need to answer. We had a listener letter a while ago and it was about body uh, dysmorphia and sort of just like how to like how to deal with that I guess and I know that that's like such a broad statement for me or like a question for me to ask you but um, I feel like you're probably the right person to to ask based on your knowledge of uh, of the body and of and of everything that we're speaking about. And I think, and also because it kind of, in terms of like our industry, what we do with beauty. Mm -hmm. um, So essentially when this girl asked this question, my first thought was, well, as women, don't we all, aren't we all just kind of like weaned into having body dysmorphia? (laughs) Aren't we just like Mm -hmm. born into like hate yourself? But that's not not a good enough answer. I don't think. (laughs) I found Mm -hmm. it. Oh, you Mm -hmm. found it. Love what you ladies are doing. I'm a high school English teacher in Oakland, California. I am white, but nearly all of my students are people of color. I have the honor of teaching and learning from these brilliant, beautiful, creative, resilient young adults every day. Mm. Though I work about 60 hours a week and make about a third of what my husband makes, I love my Mm. job. Last year, I assigned my students a narrative essay. Basically, this is an essay you write about yourself and an experience you've gone through. A lot of students, she said a lot of students, wrote about how self-conscious they were about their appearances. Mm. I received essays about how they were too fat, too skinny, too short, too tall, too dark, too light. It was heartbreaking Mm. to read these gorgeous students who I love describe how they hated themselves. At at the same time, I 100% understand where they're coming from. I've had bad acne since I was nine years old. I've tried everything for it. I've been to multiple dermatologists. I've tried prescription meds, over-the-counter stuff, proactive, incredibly intense stuff called Accutane, diet changes, homemade remedies, etc. You name it. I have probably Mm. tried it. When I was younger, Mm. I was always told it would go away once I was an adult. Well, I'm 28 and the acne is still here. Using a unique combination of different products, the acne is currently as under control as it's ever been. That does not mean it's gone. It's very much still there. I'm not asking you for advice, though I'm sure you have plenty. I've come to accept the fact that I will always have at least some amount of acne. It is what it is. What I'm wondering is how to learn to love myself despite it. I hate my Mm -hmm. appearance almost entirely because because of my acne. Mm -hmm. I hate looking in the mirror. I hate looking in the mirrors. I hate looking in mirrors. (laughs) I couldn't get that right. It's incredibly difficult for me to leave the house without some kind of makeup on. I was bullied in school for my acne, and my mom always mentioned it. She was trying to help fix it, but just made me more self-conscious. But all that stuff's in the past, and yet I still hate my skin. I know it's a form of body dysmorphia because I can look at my face and be horrified of it, and my husband's... (laughs) She Mm. does say husbands, accidentally. (laughs) Yes! Yes, girl! (laughs) And my husbands and friends can look at the exact same face and see nothing wrong. I want to be a good role model for my students and teach them to love themselves, but it's hard when I hate my skin so much. Do you have any recommendations on how to live with and heal from body dysmorphia? She had written that to us, and we answered it, and we came from a beauty therapist way, because obviously we're not mental health professionals. But I wonder if you have anything, even if you don't want to specifically answer that, but just generally people who are experiencing that. I think it's like most people do in yeah, some way in, or another. In some way or another. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think like the idea that it's how we're conditioned is a, is like 90% of it. Like I don't think that we can minimize like marinating in the soup of white supremacy and fat phobia and Western beauty standards. Um, I think that that is enormously impactful for most people. Um, 
And, and also, um, I think that there's like the, I mean, that really does feel like so much of it. I think a lot of it can go back to maybe to some, there's some childhood stuff or like even the kind of more like community survival stuff we were touching on. So if we're feeling rejected or whatever from the pack, whether it's like the cool hot girls at your high school or the like beefy dudes that you want to hang out with, whatever, when you're like a teen or in middle school or whatever, the way that our body interprets that rejection, it's not just like really hurtful emotionally um, because you're kind of putting together your sense of yourself, how much you value yourself, things like that. But it also triggers this survival response of like, oh, I'm going to be left behind, like in sort of like more communal living situations. If I'm not accepted into the pack, because humans are pack animals, um, then I'm going to be left behind and I will be left without shelter or food or care. Um, so it can bring on this like very, very intense nervous system survival response. This like feeling of rejection or not being accepted. Mm. So I think that it's maybe like those two things together. Also a lot of people, women in particular, but people in general have other experiences that make them feel not valued. Um, and then that kind of in combination with this idea that our physical appearance is where all of our value comes from and people of all genders experiences. I think it's the most acute for people who are socialized as girls, but I think that this is kind of universal. Um, yeah, there's like usually other things happening in someone's life, right? So it's like other rejections or other, um, other traumas or experiences that make somebody feel like they have to be perfect or, um, feel not worthy or all of that. So I think it's like a combination of, of those things. I think changing your exposure to media, to people around you, um, things like that. Like if there's a show or someone you follow on Instagram that doesn't make you feel good about yourself, like don't follow them. Don't watch the show. Like you really have to be very boundaried with yourself around like what kind of stuff you, you take in. Like I don't, I cannot hear anything about anybody's diet I don't want to, like, watch a show that is, like, centered around that in any way. Um, if there's ever, like, wellness stuff and it goes into, like, clean eating or, like, keto or whatever, like, red flag. Like, no thank you. Mm -hmm. um, that's going to, like, trigger a whole bunch of things in me that I don't – I've spent a large part of my life dealing with. And I don't – I love myself too much to hear that, mm -hmm. right? So, like, for this person, if, like, following certain – um, like makeup artists, right. It's like really triggering for her, like watching people, um, that have skin that she idealizes. Like if that's going to be upsetting, then like just follow accounts of makeup artists who have acne or like focus on working with people with acne. Like, why do you have to look at that other stuff? Like that's, you can be like gentle with yourself. So I think there's this way of like keeping yourself safe. I think that's really helpful. Mm -hmm. And then also like filling your feed or filling your, um, your world with people who either like look like you or um, share similar values, right? So, like, if you're a person that has a curvy or fat body and all your friends are skinny, like, that's an issue. Like, you need to be around people that look like you. Mm -hmm. um, and so you can watch people celebrate their bodies and you can be inspired by that and celebrate your own body. Um, people who've done the work, right, to, like, love their body as much as they can, um, being around people like that. I think a lot of people um, struggle to connect with people who've done that that work because it's it's big and a lot of people are still really stuck in that but I, I do feel like things are changing mm -hmm. around that for sure um we have like so much better representation in media than we ever have mm -hmm. um so I do like definitely have hope and then I think there is like probably more childhood stuff like I think this person would really benefit from like 
working with a therapist on this in particular um, because there is, yeah, like it is, that is childhood trauma. Like it's maybe not the same as growing up in a household where there was violence. Maybe that was also the case. I'm not sure. But like it's to feel so self-conscious and so rejected at such a young age is very impactful and it needs to be processed. And maybe this person can make new brain associations because of therapy where they can see themselves differently. Like that would be really cool. Or like actually take in how their husbands feel, you know, about her or her friends feel about her, which is that she's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And there's can be like a lot of blocks that are really old, like from childhood that don't allow us to fully enjoy the appreciation and love that other people have for our bodies. I love everything that you just said. Me too. That's awesome. And it's true. It's all it's all 100% true. Like I I had a moment like this a couple of years ago with my when I was like I hate everything that I'm looking at on Instagram. I hate it. And I changed my feed and you know what my feed is filled with? Really funny shit. People of all different colors and sizes, people who look mm. like me, people who look like, like mm-hmm. I just I changed it to look like what I wanted it to look like. And it kind of sucks again now, but like <laughs> But I feel but I feel Time better. To Do you know what I mean? I feel better looking at it and seeing like mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I think it's little tweaks like that totally. that can probably help all of us. Because I think that we think that we're that we all have to follow the Kardashians or that we all have to follow like I don't even know. I was gonna say Jessica Simpson as if anybody follows <laughs> anybody who's listening to follow Jessica Simpson, like but like whoever she probably has like two million followers. Of so you're, not, you know, you're whoever, not wrong. Ariana Grande, whoever the person is that's like the beautiful, you know, whatever. And it's like, no, don't follow them. Don't follow Gigi Hadid. Why? You'll find out what's happening in her life. Somebody will tell you. You don't need to follow that if it's not making you feel great. Totally. I've unfollowed recently a couple of. I like to work out. So I definitely. I'll sometimes follow people without really looking at their page and it's not until it's like taking over my feed that I'm like, why did I follow this? This one person, and it's not to any fault of her own. She's Mm -hmm. 5'11", very fit, Mm -hmm. works out like 10 minutes a day or something. And I was just like, that's Mm -hmm. cool. And I'm not shaming it in any way, but it's just not for me to look at anymore because I'm 5'1", with a lot of cellulite and I'd rather follow other people who look like that yeah because that also exists yeah (laughs) but something so simple like just unfollowing this person I'm like I feel a little better totally yeah exactly yeah or like you know I try and limit my time on Instagram it's probably like five minutes a week and like Mm -hmm. that's also how I take care of myself like I listen to podcasts I love podcasts so much I listen to podcasts who you know are produced and made by people who share my values and like are interested in these things I read books by people who are similar to me or like thinking about things critically um so like you can also filling your feed I'm like ooh, what if that included like podcasts and books and music and like totally. um things like that where you're like watching different types of bodies or hearing about different types of experiences um so I think that's also helpful too like if yeah like what is the if media includes like podcasts and books and music and social media like what is the percentage of that that's like social media mm-hmm. um and does that need to be adjusted as well because that that literally was created to depict a certain kind of life mm-hmm. that is um not super accurate and pretty unattainable for most people so that's another question too is like do you need to take a break from something like instagram and just listen to podcasts or um like get a library card yeah Totally. Well, just like you said, how 
media and I guess everywhere has changed so much where you will see people who look like you or yeah, people you have yeah. things in common with. The unfortunate thing is that you go somewhere like Instagram to find it, but you also find all of these other things. So I think right. it, I think it really is very, very important to just be hyper aware of like, also, what, are the, what is the message this person is this person trying to give mm-hmm. me by me following them? Mm-hmm. Oh, they are telling, you know, it, for me, it's like if an account has before and afters of yeah. how mm-hmm. a body looked yeah, no. after doing their workouts, I'm just like, nope. Mm-hmm. That's not for me. Yeah. It's not yeah. good for me. Totally. Yes, that's a great red flag, like so, knowing that that's, that's a no. Yeah. I had to stop following some um, uh, social, like social accounts, social activist accounts is what I'm trying to say, because it was too... Mm. One is it was just too upsetting constantly mm-hmm. seeing all of the hurt in the world. But yeah. then two is it was like I was seeing like the... Just very aggressive. Do you know, like, if you get this wrong, then you're an asshole. Like, if you get this wrong, then fuck you. You don't care about anybody. And I was like, well, that sounds, seems a little aggressive. Because I don't really think that I'm that person either. And I guess I just bring that up because there's all sorts of, like, bad, seemingly good things on the internet that can be just, like, bad for you mentally. Even if it isn't about, like, body image, but just, like, messaging that that hurts your feelings or just makes yeah. you feel well, less it's than. All, that makes, yeah. And it's all connected. It's yeah. like you get to create your own beauty kind of, which is cute, yeah. right? You yeah. get to just create like, this mm-hmm. is, these are the models that I want to look at or these are the influencers I want to look at. I can literally choose that. Totally. Which is cool and yeah. kind of powerful. A hundred percent. Yeah. Just remembering that is super powerful. Uh, yeah. I got to look through my yeah, go people, through and probably. follow some people, add some people. I got to add more people. I got annoyed and deleted everybody. got to add some more. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hilarious. What else? I love everything that you said. I know. You're dropping, like, really great gems on us. Do you have patients or clients? I forget. What the- yeah, I call them clients. Every therapist has, like, a different – there's a different culture about that for therapists. So I have a social work degree, mm-hmm. and social workers tend to say clients. clients. Do you feel mm-hmm. like you have more clients, like, because of the pandemic? Or since the pandemic? Um, so I have less clients because I have to see less people <laughs> because mm. of the pandemic. Yeah, so I, I haven't been taking clients for a long time. I, like, had the people that I had when the pandemic hit. And then I added, like, one or two people. But mostly I've had my books closed because there's only, like, so much that I've had to give. I've had a lot of family members get sick, um, been taking care of myself through the pandemic. Um, and... Yeah, like really, like I said, kind of stepping away from overworking. That's really So good. I actually have been, yeah, like I'm, I'm like taking negative clients. But recently um, I got my Missouri license. So I'm able to see people here cool. in St. Louis or Missouri. So I have been taking people here um, as I sort of like finish up with folks in, in New York where I was based. And the um yeah like getting a lot of response since I let people know that I was taking new clients and I know from my therapist community all over um that there has been more of a need for therapists than ever like people getting more emails um asking if people are accepting clients or whatnot uh definitely since the pandemic like I, if I was going to guess, I would say like 50%. <laughs> um, do you have any quick advice on the best way to find a therapist that's suitable for you? Yeah, definitely. So if you're in New York, um, there's some really great resources. In particular, Manhattan Alternative 
is a list of, it's just like manhattanalternative.com. There's like 50 or 60 therapists that are queer, trans, BIPOC, sex worker, um, kink, poly, affirming, positive. So that list of is like amazing. Awesome. Um, if you're, some of those people take insurance, some of them don't. Um, if the rates or insurance doesn't make sense for you, um, no matter where you are, there's a, there's a website called Open Path Collective, and these are therapists all over, I believe, the U.S. that have rates between $30 and $65, um, so it's wow. a really great sliding wow. scale option, mm-hmm. yeah, um, and then if you're in New York, you can also call NYC Well and let them know um, your insurance plan or if you need free therapy, and they will help you find some places that are, um, they take your insurance and stuff. So that's a New York resource. Um, open path is anywhere. And then Manhattan alternative for New York city. And then if you're outside of New York, um, in addition to open path, psychology today can be really useful. So like the culture is kind of different in every city, but here in St. Louis, that's how people find therapists largely is psychology today. So it's really user friendly. You can put in your insurance or what you want to, what type of therapy you want to do. You can put an identity. So you can say that you want to work with, um, a lesbian therapist, a black therapist, a Jewish therapist, a like body positive therapist. Um, you can search by what people specialize in. So you can put like trauma, addiction, whatever. Um, and like I said, insurance or not. So that's a really useful resource mm-hmm. for pretty much anywhere. Um, and the advice that I would give additionally to those platforms is to think about scheduling your first session with a therapist, like you're just trying that person out. So if you really like them, great, keep going. If you don't, you can see like three to five people before you make a choice of who you want to work with. That's totally fine. I think some people will do like a 15 minute consultation call before they meet to make sure it's a good fit. If someone doesn't offer that to you, like a therapist doesn't offer that, you can ask for it. Most people will do it. Um, and so in that call, you can make sure like the vibe is right. You all seem to be a good fit. Um, but even if you find out like 10 sessions in that your therapist like doesn't think COVID is real or whatever, like you can just stop <laughs> seeing that person. I think a lot of times people are like, well, I got started. I don't love this person, but I'm like in it. It's like, no, you can really shop around. Like that's okay. So just to say like, you're making sure that person's a good fit. That therapist is also making sure that you're a good fit. So, um, yeah, that's like a little piece of advice that I would give. I love that. That's that great was great advice. advice. Honestly, we, uh, I knew psychology today and I've used it myself, but I've never heard mm-hmm. of those other resources. And I think that people are really going to appreciate that. Yeah. So thank you so much. I think it's hard to know. It's yeah. hard to know. It's hard like, to find therapists mm-hmm. right now. Also, like I know yeah. so many people are looking and so many people can't it's whether it's like an insurance thing or that the person isn't like also like you i think therapists are overwhelmed they're also people and yeah it makes so much sense yeah Yeah. it's It's crazy out here totally thank you for reminding us that because (laughs) sometimes i think it's just me i'm like girl get your life (laughs) together and it's like no it's wild in these in these uh I don't know, in these streets. It's fucking wild out here yeah. in 2022. When it's like 11 o'clock at night and my husband's trying to go to bed and I'm like doing a jig and singing, I'm like, it's because I haven't gone out dancing in forever. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah, lots of things. Summer will be here again and we can dance in the streets, but 
Yeah. Oh, Thank yeah. you so much for sharing so much great. time with us. This is really, really yeah. incredible. Um, of course. Thank will, you both. Will you let our listeners know where they can find you, um, wherever you'd like them to find you? Yeah, absolutely. So my website is andreaglick.com. I have a newsletter. It's going to let you know about workshops that I'm teaching. I have like a monthly newsletter that I send out um, with like what I'm reading and listening to and eating and thinking about. Um, my Instagram is at somatic, Witch. I'm not on there so much, but I am sometimes. Um, and if you're in Missouri or St. Louis, um, I'm still taking new clients here. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so, so much. And I kind of, I'm not going to lie. I kind of love that you're staying out in Missouri because one of the <laughs> things, well, and I'm going to explain why, because one of my hopes for, um, the pandemic was like a reverse brain drain that people, mm. you know, like that, the people that left their hometowns for bigger cities and took with it all of their knowledge and all of their skills mm-hmm. and all of the, the things that those towns at the end of the day really do need would all yeah. go back and infuse the greatness of New York out there in America because we need people yeah. like you. So, I mean, as much as I wish we could hang in Brooklyn, I'm, I'm honestly really <laughs> glad that you're out there. I think it's really fucking dope. Me thank too. You. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah. That's that's great to hear. I love being like a queer out therapist in a red state. Like it's really different than being one of hundreds and hundreds of queer therapists in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm, um, totally. Yeah, it's really special, and it, it is like seems needed. Yes. Um, so I'm very happy to be here, and also it's a really different place. Like when I lived here when I was younger, a lot of people stayed, and the people that stayed have done a lot of hard work to make this a different place. But I'm happy to be part of it again. Honestly, they need you. That's really nice. It yeah. gave me the chills. Hey guys. Oh hey. How'd you like that chat? <laughs> Did you guys love Andrea? How fab is she? You didn't see how fab her so brows calm are. Also, oh my god, gorgeous brows, gorgeous. very calm, yes. very soothing. Yes, like that's the kind of person I'd want to talk to about my problems. <sighs> yes, yes, right. Honestly, and you know, I if if my therapist didn't just take me back when I came back crawling on my hands and knees, <laughs> and she said, "Fine, bitch." <laughs> Andrew would be my next call. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> look, if Alice says no, you've got somebody in your back pocket. Because I don't Andrea know. has also Andrea has a lot of passion. Yes. For what she's doing. Yes. And really found where she belongs, like in the therapy world. Totally. Because I have to imagine that's hard in many careers, I guess, to like find what your niche is. Yeah. Especially in therapy, I feel like with mm-hmm. any medical field, it's sort of maybe the old world thinking is like you kind of want an older doctor. Right. Somebody Mm -hmm. who's like experienced things. And so to me, I don't know how old she is. I imagine that she's about our age. I imagine Mm -hmm. she's like an 80s baby, 80s, early 90s baby, maybe. Yeah. It's there's something to be said for speaking to somebody who just speaks your language, who's just like, girl, I get it because I am you Mm -hmm. like it me. (laughs) I'm dealing with this, too. Let's figure this out. And that's how I felt speaking with her. I just felt like the the things that you're saying. I went in. Okay, we've spoken to enough kind of like mental health professionals at this point and done the kind of enough self work on her own on the internet that I wasn't sure what she was going to say. Some questions I kind of thought like, all right, I already know the answer. And I was so pleased, like pleasantly surprised and pleased to hear different options for how to get through things, how to work through things. I should say not get through Mm -hmm. things, but how to work through things in life from a sense of, 
I've been there. I understand. I see what you're seeing. Yeah, this shit is wild. <laughs> yeah. Even just her saying, I've been saying to so many people, I didn't, my therapist didn't say this to me, but a therapist said this to me. This shit is wild. It's not normal. It's okay that you're not okay. And that was Andrea. I've been carrying that shit around with me for like two weeks since yeah. she said that. Just like, things aren't okay and that's okay. And Sometimes it's not you, you need an actual professional to tell yes. you something. To, like, uh, take it in. Yes. Because nobody else is. Like, where else? Yeah. Like, the, no leadership. Just like, oh, shit, it's crazy. Right? Just like, we're working through COVID. Just keep going. Yeah. Just keep going. Yeah. And she was like, no, this isn't normal. And I feel that, like, there's a lot of comfort in that. I agree. I hope that you guys out there feel the same way. I hope that you guys are yes. like, y'all bitches did it again. I hope so. <laughs> you brought me something I needed to hear. I hope so. Um, you know where to find us. You can find us on the gram. You can find us on the gram at True Beauty Brooklyn Podcast. I was just dancing. I was just looking was, at me like your hair in the back is swinging <laughs> so just like so intensely. I, I like watching it. <laughs> okay, we're at True Beauty Brooklyn Podcast. One day we'll take video of her yeah. when she sings these fucking songs. When she I'm was singing, singing songs to my husband today. <laughs> I was. I don't even remember what you were saying. We were singing songs about his dick. Oh, it was really weird. He was uncomfortable. No, he, no, he, he wasn't uncomfortable. He, he, he loved it. He said, I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> and then was giggling. It was so good. It's true. No, we well, do this in real life where we sing it's things true. instead of say them. Yeah. I it's our that, great singing Yes, voices. I hope you guys know it's not just for you. We love you, but it's not it's just not for just you. It's not just for you. <laughs> um, you can email us if yes. you have any questions about brows, about skincare, waxing, anything yeah. you specialize in. Yes. Um, Tell us stories. Tell us I didn't know uh, them. Yeah, then, I didn't know I'm them, but I'm older then. now. Nah. If you have any good stories. I of- just said that <laughs> title so wrong. It's okay. It's okay, thanks. I didn't know them, but I'm older now. <laughs> she had to talk over me and say it wrong. <laughs> um, where you can write in stories of just like funny shit you did when you were younger, stupid yeah. shit you did when you were younger, or it could have been last week or a year ago. Yes, exactly. You were younger then. So. Exactly. Love it. Um, you can email us at truebeautybrokenpodcast at gmail.com. It's true. And I believe that is it. Nope, you didn't even tell them your. Instagram. Uh, my Instagram. Fuck. Mm-hmm. Alex Lindley. <laughs> I don't tell them how to spell it so that they hope they I know. find me. <laughs> they keep finding you. Because I don't post anything. They keep finding you. I'm the brown Elizabeth Taylor. And that's it, guys. We love you so much. We'll see you next week, beauty baddies. That's it. That's it. Bye. Bye. This has been a COC BK production. Produced by us, Elizabeth Taylor and Alex Shapiro. Our engineer is Bart Tripoli. Our theme music composer is Zebra Sonic. Our artwork is by Garrett Ross. If you're an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com ads. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. 